Welcome to The Brew, a platform where we have open conversations in the lens of our generation, inviting interesting guests from all walks of life to discuss topics ranging from business to technology to sustainability. Enjoy the show over a freshly brewed cup of coffee or tea to start your morning. Well, welcome to The Brew. I'm your host, Valtteri Salamaki. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, we got Luis Macedo and, of course, our fantastic guest, which is the first hire ever from Freelogic. We got Heidi Chen. But before we get started, I think it'd be great a little introduction from you, Heidi, uh, so people get to know who you are. Okay, so hello, everybody. Uh, I'm honored to be on this show. And I am Heidi Chen. I'm an international student from Singapore. I came here about four years ago, studied business information systems at the University of California, Riverside graduated last year in June, and I became the first full-time hire at Freelogic. So right now I'm the lead digital strategist here. Awesome, I appreciate that that introduction in. Um, of course, based off your background, a lot we're gonna talk about today is the world of being an international student in the United States and, and what that's really like. And then really talking about the world of education outside of the United States and what, what that difference is like, um, having that experience for myself as well, being in Hong Kong. and. Milan, which is very, very different on educational standards and expectations and all these these fundamentals around it. And of course, this wouldn't be a show without me and Luis going on tangents. So that for sure will be happening uh, all throughout the show. But jumping right into the main conversation for today, I, I think it would be a little interesting for or for people to hear your perspective of once why you came to the United States to decide mm -hmm. to to start studying. And what was that that first instinct for you um, and the feeling that you had because you left everything behind you you just jumped straight into United States culture so what was that like mm -hmm. yeah so to answer your first question what made me decide to come over here there are a couple of reasons uh, so back in Singapore I didn't really know what I wanted to do you know like most of us uh, when we grow up we are just like oh yeah I want to be a doctor and an accountant those kind of things so during my last few years of high school uh, in Singapore, we call it junior college. So I was in a junior college, JC. And during my last few years, I was working towards becoming a doctor. So I was studying bio, biology, chemistry, math, economics, and English. And as I was studying that, uh, yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, oh yeah, I want to be a doctor because my mom was a doctor and it seemed like a very prestigious and very, uh, I would say, yeah, prestigious, well-paying job. So that's what I was working towards. But towards the end of high school, I realized that that was not really what I want to do. Uh, right now, I can't even imagine myself thinking about blood. So um, I was kind of at a loss of my future trajectory uh, and back then even right now in Singapore it's very hard for you to change your major in college after mm -hmm. you decide on one so I didn't want to risk going into a major for four years and ending up not liking what I wanted so for example my sister she studied chemical engineering in college but she didn't really want to go into that field for her career. So she studied it for four years and she actually is now a financial advisor. Uh, so, yeah, so very different. So I heard, I, yeah, that time I didn't know what to do. 
but I attended an Education USA seminar with my friend because we just wanted to keep our options open and the guest speaker was from UCR. So she mm. talked about how when you come to the US, when you study college, you can change your major or you can even come in as an undecided major. So that was when I decided, oh, I want to come to the US. And right after the seminar, I called my mom and told her, mom, I want to study in the US. And she was like, okay, cool. So yeah, so that's how it happened. I would say other reasons, um, supplementary reasons would be, uh, number one, I was just very sick of the way that uh, we had to take tests um, back there. So mm. yeah, I felt like it was a lot of regurgitation and rote, rote memorization and regurgitation. So that's why I wanted to push myself to go into a different learning environment. And the second reason was that uh, I I was very into fashion and I wanted to go somewhere, go into a field that's creative. And when we think about that, we think about New York or Los Angeles, right? So uh, that was part of the reason why I decided to come to Southern California. And third reason would be, uh, I would say a lot of mental health stuff uh, that I just wanted to have a change of environment. And then, that was a very long-winded answer, um, but I have an answer uh, the question about coming over here, how it was like. So coming over here, I think I was just very excited. I have never been to the US before, neither have my family. Only my sister has came to the States before. So yeah, I just took the flight, came here, and I was super excited. I was just talking to everybody, I was super extroverted back then. So I really didn't think about much. All I was doing was just really excited and I would talk to different people. I remember um, in Singapore, we don't have a lot of, we don't have Mexicans there. So over here uh, on the first day that I was here, I was just walking around campus. So I met somebody uh, who was Mexican. So I asked him, I was like, hey, where are you from? And he was like, Mexico. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. What kind of food do you guys eat? And he was so freaking confused. Um, but soon I realized that, oh, there are a lot of uh, different ethnicities here. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's uh, I mean, no, actually, let me let Louise jump in here right away first, and then I'll I'll, I'll continue from there. I, I'm actually curious to hear Louise's thought. I can well, tell you, yeah, you know, no, it's not, it's not, it's not. I was actually not gonna reference the the Mexican thing, but when you did say it, like off screen, I I did give a little like hell yeah, like let's, like uh, you know, they, they yeah, there's there's I would argue maybe too much of us here in Southern California. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, obviously. Um, so uh. One thing I was going to say is like, so you think that the main reason you wanted to come study in the US is because of the flexibility? Like, do you think that, because like, I, I, again, this is just me because I'm, this is where I'm from. This is the education system that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never, I've never looked at like that kind of, you can kind of flip flop your major around, do whatever you want to do. I've never looked at that as a pro more than I've looked at it as like just something that is an option. Um, mm-hmm. So you're saying that like over in, in Singapore and everything like that, like that's just not a thing that happens. Like usually you like you stick to whatever you pick. Mm-hmm. You stick to whatever you pick. And usually if you want to do a switch, then I believe you have to study for another whole for three to four years. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. 
Mm -hmm. There are pros and cons to it, though, because a lot of people here, they will complain about how we have to take, uh, like, if we are in business, we have to take biochemistry classes and they think it's very yep. useless. Uh, in Singapore, we don't do that. But um, I would say the on the flip side, then it provides flexibility because you don't mm -hmm. have to study for another four years. Gotcha. So, so the thing that we bagged on last week, which was the GEs, not the GEDs, um, the, the thing that we bagged on last week, the is is the thing that actually makes you able to to flip-flop around and, and be able to pick and choose um what you might want to do mm -hmm. neat you know there you go about the thing that you bag on one week is no, someone's no, reason to me, be here next week let, let me let me defend myself a little bit here I, I i agree with the concept of taking some classes but the point of the ge is taking up one like third of your college education for unit units and credits is dumb like the fact that you have to take like dance five and like these random re requirements just to get credits and pass them is it's it's irrelevant and it's not going to help anybody from any background as they come to the United States. But I mean, overall, I, I think it did it did bring up a good point um, that, that you're talking about, which is that um, that flexibility and, and being able to have a chance to really get to know yourself and like what your passions are and what your, your real interests are versus being an environment that uh, is very like strict cutthroat on like you need to succeed in this one area and be very very good at it um and it's going to be a hardcore education behind that um because that is the one thing i did see when i was studying in hong kong just like the student behavior as well as like the classes and the, the way that they were teaching it, all the courses was really structured based off of like okay i'm going to study finance or whatever i'm they're in the library nonstop, 24 7 just studying finance like i i always tell the story of like i i went out to the bars and like when i left to the bars at like 10 p.m there's this i saw in the window of the library this person was studying and then when i got back from the bars at like five in the morning the same person was still in the window studying and i was just thinking to my head like man this 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 wouldn't fly with me but um i i felt really bad about myself i questioned my morals at that point but uh um, that that was kind of that cultural change for me because like I I have always liked the concept of like you you work really hard you you study really hard but then you have the flexibility to enjoy your own life and party and have fun and those are equally as important as like the classes you take so do you think that was some cultural differences you started feeling in the United States that there's more kind of social balance and people are valuing more of like their interactions with other people versus just purely studying or the fundamentals of education yeah that's actually a really good question also uh before that. <laughs> This um, I hate Big Mike. Uh, oh say, my gosh! Don't humor him. Don't humor him. Don't don't even acknowledge his existence in this chat. Oh my gosh! The periodic oh. table of elements in order. I literally had the periodic table of elements as my wallpaper for um, a lot of my friends did that too for like a few months as we were studying for our chemistry exam. But I don't remember it anymore. So. <laughs> There, there, you, there you go, Michael. You got what you wanted. <laughs> okay, um, but I, I, I actually do have a question for you, Heidi. Going back to the Mexican thing, it took me a while. I literally just did it in my brain, but <laughs> yeah, <it> possibly... <laughs> I, I had to process it for a second. So, what was so um, in Singapore? Was there Mexican food, or was it just like like uh, Spaniard, like Castellano kind of food? And and, and the follow up question mm -hmm. to that. Okay, so it wasn't. What was the first Mexican dish you had here that wasn't like Taco Bell? Like it was like authentic Mexican. <laughs> Okay, you yeah. please tell me it was a California burrito. No, don't tell me. That's not even okay. Okay, I'm, go ahead. What, 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 what was the first? It's, not, it's, it's, but... 
It's not like birria. It's not like tacos de cabeza. No, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. What was the first? You thing? guys are gonna be very disappointed with both of my answers. Number one, in Singapore, there is no, not a lot of Mexican food. I tried Mexican food once, and they had tacos, which was sixteen dollars for three, and they tasted um not very good. Okay, they were very dry. And then for your second question. <laughs> The first Mexican food that I ate here was from the dining hall. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it it could be worse, I guess. Like, it like it, I it's better than it's yeah it's better than like Taco Bell or going to Taco. Like <laughs> there, Heidi. One of these days when COVID is is less of uh, has a stronghold on 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 our on our area, I I will take you uh, all of us to like. A, like an authentic like taco place like somewhere that has like not just good tacos but like good birria mm -hmm. good like all the things that you, you would you would want mm -hmm. um al pastor like fresh like we're talking like mm -hmm. al pastor on yeah. the actual rotating uh thing there um we'll do that we'll, we'll make that a, a little like yeah. company lunch or something like that mm -hmm. actually been to tijuana before too Sorry, okay okay <laughs> so you had legit okay that's good you had legit did you get it from like a little rundown shack on the side of the road or did you go to like mm -hmm. an actual establishment it was like a food court, so okay, 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 okay. Food court. Oh, you have to go to like the alleys that have no lights. You don't know what's yeah. gonna happen, and then you see some food at the corner. You just have to believe yeah. the process of getting yeah. great food, and everything will be perfectly fine. That's when you yeah. get life changing. It's true. Food. This is big fact. I, I'm a firm believer that the uh, the dirt that flows in the air in Mexico actually enhances the flavor of uh, of the Mexican food out there. So it, open air markets are my jam whenever I'm I'm in Mexico. Really any any country open air markets are like where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So going from food, let's 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 turn it all the way back around to the education system and yes. the kind of value based education system of uh, like in Asian culture versus in the United mm -hmm. States and how you kind of perceive that difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think going back to your question, I think it really depends on the environment and the stage of education that we are in. Because mm -hmm. I do recall being in college and there were many times when we just, we would go out for meals weekly. We spend a lot of time with our friends, just hanging out, doing nothing, chilling. Um, but during, yeah, it depends on where you are. So in Singapore, uh, you basically have elementary school. Over there, we call it primary school. And then after you graduate, you go into, over here, you call it middle school, right? But over here, over there, you go into secondary school, which is four years. And after secondary school, you can choose to go into a junior college, which is two years. Or you can go into a polytechnic, which usually three years. Or you can go into an ITE, which is usually around, I think, around three years as well. Um, and afterwards, you can go into college. So, uh over there, I would say in a junior college, it is very stressful. And so during the time when people are studying at the end of their secondary school, I think that's when people get very stressed out. And afterwards, when they go into junior college, when they study for their GCE, Cambridge GCE A levels to go into college, that's also the time when they are very stressed out. So all along in my school, I think the competitive nature is just always there. Uh, it's kind of like we are just used to it in Singapore. We like to call it in Hokkien. We call it kiasu, 
So kiasu, direct translation into Chinese means pasu. Uh, direct translation into English, which means scared of losing. Mm. So we always say that Singaporeans we are very scared of losing. Uh, it can be in terms of deals, like shopping deals. Uh, it can be in terms of yeah, academics, uh, competitions, all those kind of things. So yeah, so growing up, we are just always we are just taught to be kiasu. Uh, so yeah, the stress has always been there, like the pressure to do well. Uh, but the most stressful time is during those major national examinations because you don't have a cumulative GPA. Uh, the GPA during your time in school doesn't count at all. Uh, the, your results during that one test uh, is what matters. So mm -hmm. what we always tell ourselves is, oh, we only have one chance. You know, we have to study really hard. And it will basically sort of determine our future too. So during those times, like just now when you were talking about um, the studying in the library, right? Last time, uh, I remember when I was studying for A-levels, we actually, we would, the libraries there, they open at 10 a.m. and they close at 9 p.m. So usually my friends and I, we will bring all our study materials, uh, go to the library and line up. There's a line outside of the library before it opens. So we'll go there around 8 something, 9 a.m., line up, sit down, eat breakfast. And then once the library opens, we go in, find a seat, and we just stay there all the way until lunch. So we study until lunch, go out, eat lunch, come back, study again, go out, eat dinner, come back, study again, all the way until the library closes. And that cycle just repeats uh, every day. Yeah, so I would say that, um, yeah, it depends on... It really depends on the family as well. Uh, but in general, it is definitely a lot more competitive as compared to my experience over here. Got it. So you're, you're telling me that in Singapore culture, they don't get a six pack of beer and uh, start doing their little studying sessions and then seeing where it goes, chatting it up and be like, All right, I think I got it. And uh, closing the textbook after like 30 minutes of studying and then uh, you're, wake up yeah, the next day and go straight into the exam. You're telling me they don't put uh, flashcards underneath the uh, beer pong things, and whenever whenever they make you one, make they get quizzed. Study. They get quizzed on that one uh, on that one cup. You don't you don't do that. Maybe maybe not in my school. I know my school is pretty. We have a lot of goody two shoes. Okay, okay. I used to have class too. Uh, but I know when I hear about like the middle school and high school culture, like the uh, classroom environment over here, I'm like, whoa. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. There's 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 more more than one reason why I ended up in the bottom 50th percentile in my high school. You know, <laughs> sports, sports is the only reason why I stayed so disciplined and had really really good grades. Because if it wasn't for sports, it would have been an absolute nightmare for <laughs> like what, how much I would have cared about my classes. Yeah, um, I, I hate I hate Big Mike. Actually, has a lot of dirt on me from high school. So. Oh, you that's go. you got to you got to be careful with that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, friends always know too much. I, I I'm happy yeah. that I have none of my high school colleagues in this in this chat right now because I would be a little a little worried. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, going off there, like, so the the, the factor of right being an international student coming coming to the states, going to like a UC school. I mean, first of all, uh, out of all the places you said, like Los Angeles. I mean, Riverside's dramatically different from uh, a los angeles or a city setting obviously we're, we're in the outskirts uh to an extent but 
what was that experience right like overall like getting to know people at the school do you think it was easy to get associated with people i mean you you like as you explained you're extroverted so you were reaching out and talking with people so you're able to make friends and stuff like that but what was that that hurdle because when you go from a culture to a culture there's always this culture shock there's always kind of this new understanding of how do i fit in properly what do i need to do what, what are the different behaviors that people have here um that I would not have done back home obviously and stuff like that so how was that transitional shift over to coming to america and by the way don't watch coming to america too it was really not a good movie uh, oh did I, it I just, come out already it came out and it, it, it was disrespectful to the first one uh but yes uh <laughs> just on a side tangent there but what was it like uh coming to america and then uh going through a, a university program um with kind of leaving everything else behind i think at first, it was I was just super excited. Uh, usually, I don't even use Snapchat. But when I first came here, that was the only thing I had because I was not able to talk to my friends in Singapore. They were all sleeping during uh, in the morning. And over here, I didn't know a lot of people. So I was just super excited, like taking videos of everything and posting them on social media. And I think, I think the people here are very open and very very open, outspoken, and very friendly, uh, easy to talk to. When I first came here, I remember talking to somebody at the airport and then talking to somebody in the shuttle bus that I was on. When I first came to UCR, I went to the dining hall and I was just eating uh, and walking around when people would just approach me and then they will ask me whether I'm an international student and they will just invite me to their events. So I think I was I was integrated into like some sort of community at UCR since day one. And I was able to meet more friends from there as well. So yeah, in my first few days here, I was already able to go out. I went to Tyler, went to Moreno Valley, uh, San Diego, different places. So I think that was a very... That was something that was very heartwarming to me, uh, that people here are just so uh, welcoming. Uh, they, yeah, although eventually, definitely, uh, I learned that you still have to um, be careful, like you have to be safe as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, but coming from Singapore, uh, it is a very sheltered, very safe environment. So I think I didn't think a lot about all those kind of things. Like going off a tangent, uh, I wanted to walk to the university village to get my my t-mobile card but my friends were super against me walking there by myself at 6 p.m and i really could not understand why i was like what i can just walk there like there's nothing wrong with that because in singapore i can walk around the street i can take a 30 minutes walk from the train station back home at 3 a.m in the morning but over here i think that was something that was shocking to me and in terms of making friends i would say there are some things uh, over here, one thing I realized is over here, uh, a lot of people, they see classmates and friends, there's like a separation. Uh, when I first came here, I would I would talk to everybody that I see in lecture. So I would sit beside somebody and I'll turn to her and I'll be like, oh my gosh, what's your name? Uh, what's your, like, what year are you in? What's your major? Da, 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 da. And then some of them will just be like, oh, they seemed a little bit 
like reluctant to talk to me. Eventually, as I stayed at UCR for a longer time, I was like, oh yeah, like when I'm in my third year or fourth year, I kind of don't want to talk to people randomly in class. You know, I just want to be there, um, zone out or listen to class, do my own thing. Uh, but yeah, I think there were some people that I connected with and. What we talked about was strictly about class, like class materials, exams, homework, all those kind of things. And I was kind of um, taken aback or confused by that because I thought, uh, like, yeah, I thought we could be friends, <laughs> but um, turns out there's like a separation that people uh, usually classmates doesn't mean that you are friends unless you share some form of uh, similar interest. So I think that was something that was different, and other things that were different. Um, am I supposed to? Am I allowed to? Okay, so in Singapore, there are a lot of <laughs> do whatever you want on this show. This, <laughs> yeah. There is yeah. no, there's no restrictions on this. There's show. no filter on this show. Go, go for it. Whatever you want to say, just say it. Yeah. So in Singapore, there are some things that we talk that there are some words that we use. That are not they are considered very normal words, but over here they are considered as swearing. So over there, I would like it's it's I don't think it's much. It's like just shit. Yeah. So over there, we'll just be like, yeah, we'll just be like, oh, oh shit, like oh, oh well, oh shit. Yeah. But then um, over here, when I say that, people will be like, oh my god, Heidi is swearing, and because I think because they don't expect that from me. So yeah, I was about to say that. I was just <laughs> yeah. I was that is, I, th I don't think it's necessarily a, a shock from the word shit. It's it's uh -huh. it's coming from from you specifically as such a innocent voice, and then you just go in like shit. I'll be like. Hell no, honey. I'm here for it, dude. I know. Drop, drop all the drop all the shits, all the f bonds you want. I, I'm I'm on I'm right on that ship with you. <laughs> I love this shit. Okay, but anyway, yeah. So over there, uh, yeah. So I think that was something that I was a little bit surprised by. Other things would be uh, just the choice of words. Um, there was a lot of language, not not language barrier per se, but a lot of miscommunication because of our different word choices. So over there, uh, like we say dustbin, and over here you say trash can. Over there you say um, queue, queue up, and over here you say lineup. And then like battery, over there we pronounce battery. And over British. here, yeah, yeah, British. <laughs> and yeah, there are some words that when I pronounce, people just don't understand. Yeah, even my fiance was like, was telling me that he didn't understand a lot of the things that I said in the past, but he was just nodding. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's interesting. There's always that that language barrier divide whenever you go into a new culture, a new environment. And honestly, the English language is so stupid. American English is just so dumb. It's there's no, there's no, there's no logic behind it because there's like no, no, there's no, you can't, the rules aren't even there. The we rules aren't there, and then there's so much like slang that we use. Like we say, like "what's up" to greet people, but like I, I I know from like my family and stuff like that in Finland. Like if I ask you like "what's up" or "how you're doing" in European culture, that means that you're you're opening up the door to have an open conversation about how you're doing, and I can generally care. Here it's just like, and I do this like I'm I'm used to it at this point. So Sorry, I'm dude. always like, yeah, what's up, dude? What's up, dude? So like that that's it. Like that that's as like that that's it. The, the conversation ends at that point. I don't want to know anything else. I just want to say that. Uh, yeah. and, and greet people and then the opposite here as well is that like in United States culture people are they'll, they'll greet everybody but it's not like genuine it's more of like just greeting it's kind of expected out of culture which is nice it's it's, it's open and stuff like that mm -hmm. in Finland it's the same thing as like 
you don't say to a random person on the street like hello like they will just be like why are you talking to me like what is this like that that i want my own personal space this is my life like i don't know you uh so in, in the states i know when a lot of people from scandinavia come here they're just confused by it they like it but they're just like i don't know how to react to this and if you're asking me how i'm doing i'm going to explain how i'm doing mm -hmm. um was there any of those kind of cultural uh, differences between like being in Singapore and coming here that you just like in the beginning, you're like, why are people doing it this way? Because of the irrationality of the English language. Mm. Like over here, a lot of people would, yeah, would ask, how are you? And then I would really want to answer, how are you? But soon I realized I should just ask, how are you back? And then we are just like, nod and go away. So yeah, like I think over there how are you people don't say how are you in uh they ask how are you yeah as in they really want to know you like they don't say how are you to somebody um that they are just passing by yeah like and over here but there are some things that i like about here uh is that you get to talk to the cashiers all that mm -hmm. like you get to um have small talks with them because over there uh, i think a lot of people are more reserved and shy so when I first went back to Singapore in summer, after being here for about half a year, I was trying, I was just very into like talking to people, very outspoken. So I was trying, I was paying for my stuff and I wanted to ask the cashier, how is she doing? But she didn't, we never caught eye contact and she was just like super fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so efficiency is, um, what they care about a lot there, especially with strangers. Yeah, that I, I could definitely attest to that in Hong Kong. It was all about like the speed of service. It was never about the customer service. <laughs> it was so rude to me all the time. And if I was trying to speak Chinese, they're just like, why is this freaking Guaylo? You're trying to like say this stuff. You can't even say it correctly. Like, I'm like, dude, I just, I'm just trying to get some dim sum, man. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know why you're so rude to me, but it's efficient. You get it, you get it quick. Mm -hmm. And here, sometimes it goes the opposite way. Uh, Cause I've had cashiers that like literally go on like a 15 minute conversation mm -hmm. with me. I'm like, dude, I actually kind of have to go. And I feel really bad because I'm stuck in this conversation at this point. But yeah. it's an interesting perspective on that end. One thing with uh, with American culture, it's like oversharing is like a thing. Mm -hmm. Like for some reason or another, people just like will tell you their life story. And I'm guilty of this 100%. Like, like, it, if, <laughs> like you know, pe people will like very quickly just open up to you and start like, start spilling the beans on like, on like shit that like they shouldn't be talking about in public. And that's like, that yeah, it's super different than like, you know, uh, even like in Mexican culture, like you don't just like immediately open up to somebody like that. Like when it's family, yeah, you can, you're, you're open book. Uh, mm -hmm. But nah, when it's like a random stranger, you know, you have, you're polite. You say, oh, thank you for this. Thank you for that. And you can have a conversation and stuff, but like opening up the way that people here do, like, mm -hmm. like, like, like you're saying, like you could just be like at an Albertsons getting your groceries and then like you'll start small chatting with, with the teller or something like that. And like next thing you know, they're talking about their, their second divorce and how now they're, you know, they're sleeping on a on a motel six uh, bed right now oh. and it's getting tough you know and it's just you know people will very quickly will tell you how down bad they are mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of it's kind of different in the professional world though right oh yeah yeah, yeah. and i yeah i think the professional world does a really good job of um i, I think the difference is they pick and choose who they open up to so like if it's not mm -hmm. like if you know it i would never open up to like my boss 
but I would 100% open up to someone who's like the, on the same level to me. I think that's mm-hmm. really the, the biggest difference in like the professional world and just like everyday world. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to open up to a boss because if you say something wrong, then that boss might, you know, just say like, well, looks like I'm, <laughs> it looks like you're never getting promoted uh, because, you know, you this is now your second divorce. Who knows? How, you can't hold a relationship kind of thing, you know, but uh, yeah, random employee and stuff like that. Why not? Go get a beer talk it over or go get coffee, whatever, you know, whatever, pick your poison um, and just kind of chat about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a big divide between the societal norms and then professional world. And I think on the professional realm, it's really weird because there's so many things that are taboo that like you just never talk with your coworkers about, but I agree with what Mm -hmm. Luis is saying, which is um, the way, the way that usually your interaction is, is if it's somebody that is going to be a decision maker in your career growth, you're not going to be very open with them. If it's somebody who is on the same level of, as you or in a different department, then it tends to be more of an open book. And it, it's, it's just like a normal kind of conversation with a friend and stuff like that. So there's that weird thing in, in companies that exists um, overall, yeah. but yeah, I mean, going into the main uh, secondary topic for today, I wanted to really, I mean, chat about you, you came Godzilla versus Kong. Good. Is that, is we're, that we're not Kong going or... into Godzilla versus Kong for today. I mean, we, we might close it out with that. I'm, I'm down to close it out okay. with that. But uh, okay. but the the main secondary conversation was really around um, now that you came to United States culture about your professional development and your overall kind of like leadership growth, right? Like uh, coming from a different culture, sometimes you have different expectations on yourself, right? And then you also might have different understandings of like skill sets that you learn during college that I honestly think are more valuable than classes are like your soft skills that people develop. So how do you think your time uh, being in the United States and then afterwards with some of your professional experience really mm-hmm. helped for your own pro- professional development, especially as, a, as an international student? Mm-hmm. I think it really helped a lot. Uh, at first, Okay, so I think going back to my the first time when I just came here, I was very stressed out because I wanted to find a job after graduation. So what I was focused on was just trying to get as much experiences as I can. And I think that's something that uh, I was taught to do, like a lot of quantity, like just taking every opportunity that you come across, um, kind of just yeah gathering accumulating experiences so that in the future you can prepare yourself for whatever um that's there but eventually i learned that yeah we have to be more intentional in the experiences and quality over quantity but in terms of uh okay i just went off a tangent but um in terms- <laughs> welcome to the brew that's all about <laughs> I love it. In the in terms of how I what I learned and how my experience here has shaped my personal or professional development, I would say it's a lot of mindset. Um, yeah, it's a lot of mindset changes because over there, I mean, yeah, uh, it was very. Mm, I think I was I like to follow the rules a lot. So or. There are sometimes when talking with recruiters, all that, uh, I think I tend to get very nervous very easily um, because of a lack of confidence uh, in my in myself. Like a lot of uh, my confidence in the past uh, came from my skill sets, my capabilities, my 
academic results, those kind of things. Uh, so over here, uh, I think I was very, at the start, I was definitely very nervous and it was very hard to be, I think, truly authentic because I wanted to put up this perfect image. Uh, yeah, perfect image of myself. But eventually, I think through a lot of conversations with people and just the, yeah, just the, the, the conversations with people and also personal experience, like right now being an employee or being somebody who's working as well, you realize that there are a lot of things that I didn't learn about empathy, like putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Like I'm not looking, if I'm a recruiter, I'm not looking for somebody who is perfect. I'm looking for somebody who is relatable, who has the potential, you know? So I think those are things that I learned. I learned to be more authentic, to accept myself, my international background uh, for what it is. Uh, I learned to no longer see it as a limiting factor where, oh, some companies will not want to even talk to me because I'm an international student and they don't want to uh, have to sponsor me or those kind of things. But instead, knowing that, hey, I have value as an international student. Uh, I've been through a lot that people here may not have. And I grow a lot from that. So I my, my perspectives and my experiences are very valuable. So I think, yeah, gaining that confidence and is something that I learned a lot. And yeah, just having the confidence to be myself and to speak up. And that's something that I learned a lot in free logic as well to speak up. Yeah, and uh, apologies for putting yourselves in that situation. That has gotten you to learn that very, very quickly, um, working on some hard projects and um, really putting you in tough situations. But the reason reason why really, really, um, I think on, on professional development growth overall and, and for anybody who wants to grow in a professional role, you do have to be comfortable with the unknown and doing things you've never done before. Um, and I and I think that that also gives you that confidence from from being an international student coming to the United States in the first place, right? Like you already that that was the first step of you getting into the uncomfortable and unknown. A lot of people don't really like tangibly think about because a lot of people are in their own bubbles their entire life and this kind of safety net. Um, mm -hmm. And what that really does to them is that they never adventure out or really pursue additional passions or try things that they don't know if it's going to work or not. But you really don't know what you're good at or how you're going to personally grow all these things until you get put into very hard situations where you have to make hard decisions and it might not turn out the way you expect. But that's usually the times that you learn the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was back there, actually, because it was very easy to just oh be like, oh, we will go to primary school, study hard, take an take a national examination, go into secondary school, take a national examination, go into JC and then go into college and then work afterwards. And I don't know, get married, live happily ever after those kind of things. But uh, I was never a huge fan of uncertainty. I was always scared of uncertainty. So even coming here, I think there are times when I would doubt myself, uh, I would th think about the things that I I want to do but haven't done um, but I will talk to my friends in Singapore and they will remind me that hey you going to the states and living there by yourself like going to such an uncertain environment is already a huge I would say a huge achievement and yeah so thanks for saying that mm -hmm. yeah no of course I mean 
like I said, I, I, I think everybody should have experience in an area that they've never been in before, like traveling wise, studying abroad, uh, working in an industry that they might not have thought about before. Um, th those experiences really what builds somebody up and allows them to succeed in life and really kind of flourish, uh, in, in my opinion, overall, because if you if you get if you just early on find something you're good at, and you just stick to that your entire life, how do you not know that there's something that you're not better at, or if there's a skill set that you might have that you never really gave a fair shot to, or if you go into another culture and realize they actually like that culture more or like you actually appreciate that lifestyle better. I think that's where um, I really wanted this conversation for insights to have for those that are listening in is just understanding that the way you're living your life right now doesn't like it, it there's different states that you can be living in there's different countries you can be living in, there's different jobs you can be having um and life life has you know time time is on our side if you're under the age of 30 so like this is when you want to be doing those experiences trying things things out um, and, and seeing what you really, really are passionate about, because then you feel more happy doing it every single day in, day out. Um, and you can take those risks at this time. Mm -hmm. As you get older, those risks are harder and harder to take, of course, because you have more responsibilities, more bills, you have family, all these other things you might have to consider. So you can't be taking those risks. You can't be making your startup ideas. You can't mm -hmm. pursue that different career or go to another country and live there for a couple of years and seeing how that goes. Um, so, I mean, I want to I want to throw this throw this out. Luis here is just the uh, the the idea of uncertainty and what what does he think overall about uh, the concept of um, throwing yourself uh, in the deep waters with uh, literally nothing, no no lifeline or anything like that. You just you just get thrown in and see what happens. Uh, I'm uh, so I don't know if I am going to be the uh, the best person to kind of bring up with this just because. I feel like I'm on, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like the moments uh, of like the biggest growth that you can have come in those times when like, you're like the most uncertain, when you don't know how to do something, when you're learning something for the first time, when you're figuring it out. Um, and, and thankfully psychology agrees with, the, with, I think all of us here, where it's like the, when, whenever you are put in a, in a position of drastic change or whenever something is drastically new to you, that is the, moment um when you are most most susceptible to habitual changes um that's just that that's a common thing in, in psychology so it's you know that's why a lot of people um when the pandemic happened a lot of things were so new so different to them that a lot of people ended up forming a lot of habits either good habits or bad habits it really depends um whenever you move to a new city uh everything is really different to you that your brain for some reason or our brain human brains look at that as like oh time for me to form like a new identity this is a new fresh start so i could start over uh it's it's a weird thing that our brains do but it, it it it's to our benefit because when you go live in a new city if you're in a new country your brain is more susceptible to learning at that point which is how you can absorb a language how you can absorb a culture and how you can do uh, do a lot of stuff like that so um yeah i i 100 agree that like most learning is going to happen um whenever you are like thrust into any new situation whether that's um, you know, you think even like for myself, like I, I, I think that my biggest growth moments have happened um, mm -hmm. during the transitions in my life from um, me being a, in a community college, totally different growth there, me being going to UCR, totally different growth there. Um, and then me then graduating and doing my own thing, totally different growth there. And I think I'll see that exact same growth and that exact same change in trajectory. Um, 
you know, once, once my master's starts and, and I'm doing that, you know, it's like, you have these different things that are, that are constantly kind of changing. And, and that's like the moment you got to capitalize on it. It's really easy um, to be like, okay, I know who I am and this is what I'm going to be. And then I'm going to go somewhere new. Like, let's say you move, uh, let's say you go to, I don't know, Italy, right? Uh, let's say you go to Italy. It's really easy for us to just be like, oh, you know what? I know who I am. I know what I like. Uh, and that's that. I'm not going to change that. And very easy to just sit down, stay inside and just keep to your stuff. Um, but I challenge anybody to like, that's that's when you should do it. That's anything that you've been scared of. Um, go try it. Go try it then because that's when you're going to that's when you're going to change. If you've always wanted to draw and you've always been scared to draw when you move to a new city, go go to like one of those like a uh, uh, wine and draw Thing. Just go to the park. Yeah. Just like go open yeah, the park. Just go you know, get get some get some any, alcohol. Any park, in Europe, you can just you know. Yeah, have any park in Europe, outside. exactly. Any park in Europe, you can drink. You can come. You can make friends uh, out in the park. I mean, it's it's you know one of the one of the reasons why like Europe is like on my short list of like retirement countries is like because you can literally just like walk around in a park, play beer pong right next to the Louvre. You know, it's like it's 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 wild for no reason. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So the, those, those, uh, yeah, I, I agree that like when, when you are put into those like new experiences, you have a fresh start is when you should have like a list of things that you already are passionate about. You always want to try, but you just never really gave it a fair shot and just try it. See, see where it goes. I mean, if, if you don't like, it, you don't like it, it's not the end of the world, go with it with no expectations, just seeing what that experience is like overall. Um, and, and then just have, have fun with it. Um, and yeah. I, I, that's why I'm so, so like bullish on people traveling. Like it, it, oh, traveling is never a bad investment. Like you, yep. if you go, obviously right now with COVID, it's a bad investment. Let me, let me, let me preface that a little bit right now. Bad investment after this is over. Good investment. Go travel, go explore, um, go with just the backpack and see, see where it takes you. Yep. Um, and you, you'll be shocked with the people you meet, the, the conversations you have. I mean, that's one reason why this group platform came to be was just really based yeah. off those travels that I had and conversations that I had with people. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I just can't be uh, more in the favor of, you know, get out of your home, get out of your comfort zone uh, in your friend groups and uh, explore and, and, and really find out who you are and, and what you're really passionate about overall. Can I, yeah. can I just say, can I just say really quickly, why do, why do people think, um, I think, I, I don't know if this is an American thing, um, but why do people think that whenever you have to travel, that where, <laughs> wherever you travel to does not have washing machines or dryers? Like why, why do people, why do people automatically assume that they have to go with like a month's worth of clothing, like with a checked bag where you're lugging this whole thing around? No. Go like go with like four pair of underwear and like a few socks and just do your laundry. It's so quick. A lot of places you'll even you can just drop off your laundry and then go pick it up later and they'll have it all folded and ready to go for you. Like it's like this is I you know I can go with like a JanSport backpack across all of Europe if I really wanted to. You know it's like it's not difficult. Uh, everyone just wants to be nasty and not do laundry while they're traveling. I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is though with that. I, I think is that is that is that just a U.S. thing or is that a, is that everywhere kind of thing? That's a United States, I think, problem is that people, uh, people here, it, it just comes from the culture in the United States, which is more materialistic and like people want volume and they want different clothes and they want to look a certain way when they go out, you know, downtown in the streets of Italy versus if they're at their place and they want to have different clothing and all these kinds of yeah. things. I, uh, I, I, like, I yeah, I, I literally only have a couple. Yeah, exactly. When I travel, mm -hmm. stuff like that, I, I, I had a backpack and I traveled to 10 different countries in Europe when I was in Milan. And all I just Easy. took a backpack, just 
all right, let's go. Let's let's see where that's this it. takes me, and that that's it. And it, it was it was that's all I needed, right? But um, you have to get comfortable with that, and you have to be okay with like you're there to travel, and experience life. You don't need to have your your Gucci flip flops with you, and you know your red bottoms out uh, yeah. in the streets every single time when you go out. So I don't know. It's a it's um it's I think it's a cultural thing. But I mean, Heidi, you yeah. got any takes on that? Yeah, I think uh, I definitely. I definitely fall into that category of bringing a ton of things in the past because in the past I used to have so many things like when I was in college just I think just coming into United States there were so many options uh, in terms of shopping like you can buy anything online um, but so many shops in Singapore in the US don't ship to Singapore so when I first came here I was just overwhelmed by the amount of options and I'll buy a lot of things so when I traveled I remember traveling to New York with my friends and yeah, I just had a huge luggage. I was like, oh, I gotta have like this outfit, that outfit, and then this kind of things. Um, but yeah, right now I do realize that yeah, all these things, it's really a lot of materialism and consumerism. So, and it's, yeah, it really comes down to what you value. I guess some people, um, if they are, if their job depends on it, like if they are an influencer, content creator, then sure that, that makes sense um but for us uh normal people like i i really think now that it's very important to just yeah be in the moment and to focus on the learning focus on the meeting new people those kind of things instead of like what you're going to wear all that so yeah i'm trying to minimize my things selling things and just buying a lot less things too yeah. so Deep, mm-hmm. depop is your friend when it comes down to yeah. like selling selling a some nicer clothes that you mm-hmm. have but no, I mean, I and it's and don't don't think that like this is something that like I was uh, immune to at first. Like when I first started traveling, oh my mm. god, me. So we went to and it wasn't even like we traveled across the globe. Me and my wife went on a trip to Seattle and like Portland with like friends. It was a before COVID. We would uh, we would usually travel three times a year. We would travel uh, once for like uh, like for us, her, me and her. Uh, then once in summer and then once for uh, new year's we always we would always spend new year's in a different place not home uh so whether that's like in new york chicago portland seattle these different places right uh this year i think it was supposed to be nashville which would have been interesting because the bombing happened like christmas day um but i, I digress um but no i mean well, the first time we went there um we had we i had a backpack like a big backpack uh, um, and then I had, I had, so I had a backpack, we had a check, and then we also had carry-ons. And I will never forget the misery that was carrying that stuff into like, uh, for one, for one, you have to only get Uber XLs because you have to get a big car that's going to be able to handle that kind of stuff to put in it. So that's more cost. And then you have to lug that stuff around public transportation sometimes. And that's, it's off. Um, yeah, it's just never again, not worth it. I only go with one backpack now and it's, that's mm-hmm. it. That's, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's just important when you're traveling or going anywhere, and immerse, obviously for moving from you know Singapore to the United States permanently, of course, please bring please bring your stuff with you. But if you're just traveling and, and oh, if you're moving immerse, permanently, you just need one pair of underwear just to get you there. Then you can buy new stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can buy everything. I was actually yeah. that's a fair point. It's not too expensive to bring it over. But yeah. um, the the important thing to think about is when you're traveling, 
is what like your intent of why you're there like that you're there to learn you're there to engage with like the area you're in um and i see that a lot of times when people are traveling is that they go there and they're just trying to get that perfect instagram photo and honestly i feel like they see they they're there but they're not there they're like they're not present in the areas that they're going towards they're not really like trying to talk with locals or go to local diners they're literally there just for the photo and they spend a lot of time and i feel like they didn't even see or enjoy the environment they're in they're going to forget about the scenery that they were, were just in being able to enjoy yeah. Um, like when I was at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, um, there's a group of oh, people I, who are like, no, there's, there's, there's there three sorority <laughs> girls taking photos. And I, I was, I was dying laughing because they were like taking photos in different, different spots. Like me and my homie, like took one photo each. We're like, oh, that looks good. Cool. We were here. We go, <laughs> we go, we go grab yeah. our food. And then what we got, we're, we had like two and a half hours of just like drinking wine and just having good food and stuff like that. Walking back to our hotel and the same girls are still taking pictures. And I was just like man you're not seeing anything here and like that yeah. that's not you're not really getting to enjoy um learning about being in italy or the enjoyment of this this place so i think that's another important piece that we're talking about this minimalism and when you travel or go somewhere go there with intent go there intent to learn or yep. try something new and have a list of like this is what i want to get out of this experience mm -hmm. versus just going there to go there I mean, it's not bad to do mm -hmm. that and of course you do what you want with your life mm -hmm. like it's your life if you want to take photos that's all you want to do um but i i think people need to understand and gravitate towards uh enjoying that moment that experience like being present versus just uh visiting a place and being like all right i was there i don't think that's yeah. that's very beneficial for anybody yeah yeah i it is it is a bunch um i i i i previous life not previous life i still kind of do but i was a photographer um so anytime i travel i feel like i had to take all my camera stuff i feel like i had to take like my dslr with like different lenses just in case i needed like a tell just in case i needed to take a really far away shot i had i had the lens for it just in case i needed a shot of just me and my wife I had, I had a camera a lens for it um but then very quickly it's like you, you start to realize that like i would much rather just not have to not worry about all that stuff have my <laughs> phone in my hand that takes good pictures and just take one picture one or two pictures uh but then be in that place because <laughs> like so quickly like you can you can get wrapped up in like this weird like the you know the the clout race of just like oh i gotta i gotta take this really cool picture to let people mm -hmm. know that you know i was i was chilling over here sipping on wine by like by all this stuff it's like no nah, it's like like look in like when i'm when i'm like 80 years old am i gonna care that i got a really sick picture uh in front of like the yes, Eiffel tower absolutely. or am i gonna yeah or, <laughs> or am i gonna care that i had a really fun time like watching mm -hmm. watching uh the vendors underneath the Eiffel tower get chased by the french police and like me being present for that moment, you know, it's like that. That's I think I think the moment is is a lot more important than the photograph because who cares? Who what are you what are you taking pictures for? Like who like I I laugh because like is are you ever going to be in a position where you tell somebody, oh yeah, I, I was in I was in Paris, and they're like, oh yeah, where's your picture? <laughs> it's like is it, is anybody ever going to be like, where's your proof that you were you were in that country? It's like no, get out of here. Like I fuck off. I don't. I don't need to prove to you that I was somewhere. I was somewhere. Like I. I this. I have. It's right here. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know. My take. I love this tangent that we are going on. That that's exactly because last time uh, I mentioned that in high school I wanted to come over here because I wanted to be a content creator and that's why I wanted to come to Los Angeles. Not technically Los Angeles because we're in Riverside, but. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> but that was something that I realized. Uh, that I wanted to be more like in the present rather than just focusing on oh getting this um, perfect picture all those kind of things and my 
um, housemate uh, Caitlin. I'm not sure if you're watching. Hi, Caitlin, if you're watching. But yeah, I was just talking to Caitlin um, about my husband, Caitlin, about uh, this. Yeah, that in the past, yeah, like even when we travel, like Val, you were saying when we travel, <laughs> she say hello. Okay, yeah, uh, when we travel, uh, I will always think about, oh, I want to go to this nice cafe, that nice cafe, like uh, this place, not even for the historical significance of it, but more for the aesthetics of it. Um, but right now, I was just telling my fiance, like, if I am to go back to those countries that I've been to, I would take a completely different approach. And that would be for after COVID. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a really good like take like that's what I'm saying is it, when when you're younger you have, of course you're gonna go there because you want to enjoy and like I was there and I I got to enjoy this 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 yeah. uh, and I understand that but I, I think as you as you get older you're really gonna start focusing more on like the experience of getting that amazing food from a place that didn't have like a big name for itself and stuff like that because when I was in Barcelona I went to this uh, we were trying to find food and we found this like local Cuban diner uh, and it was amazing food. And they loved us so much and that uh, they were providing like my, it was one of my friend's birthdays. So they gave us free shots, like all these kinds of things. They're really treating us well. I was just like, man, I wouldn't get this at like these these like really prestigious places that have all their name for themselves. Yeah. Right. Because they're they're not like the small business owners and locals there really want to give you a good experience. And they're they're going to mm -hmm. they're going to make it unique and fun. And like, I'm never going to forget that experience. Then I, of course, I had like tapas at a very, very expensive. All I remember is the bill. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything else except yeah, the bill. Yeah, seriously. So, yeah. So that that's my that's my take when it comes to like getting food or going anywhere. You want to find those like local spots, like those local like in in Italy, like local um like different sandwich shops and like different meat shops and stuff like that. We can get amazing beers and, and sandwiches or if you're in in hong kong i always try to find like different street food or like dim sum from like really like low-key places um those are those are experiences i'm never gonna forget uh but of course you sometimes gotta get your michelin restaurants and i know that's your that's your uh your lifestyle yeah. there Luis. but <laughs> oh yeah dude i i the ha 80 percent of the reason i travel was to go and for the food uh i mean i, I i've said this before but when we were when me and my wife for our, our honeymoon went to uh, paris we purposefully didn't stay in the first armament like we like we could have stayed in the touristy part right next to the eiffel tower all that stuff where like people speak english and like we had to be easier time but we didn't do that instead we went in the eighth armament which is bastille which is where all the really good food is where a lot of the michelin starred food is and thankfully people speak spanish in france so i i was able to to, to use use my spanish to get us around um but if i didn't know spanish it would have been awful because even like I, I, there was a pizza place right underneath us. And when we first got there, I just wanted to get a bottle of water. This is before I found out that uh, the city of Paris has uh, arguably the cleanest tap water in the whole world. Like it's like bottled ready because um, they care a lot about the water that their people drink. Crazy. I know. Um, so uh, I went down to this pizza place and um, and I, I like tried so hard, like in like my broken French to just be like, please, I just want like. I, like a bottle of water and he was like well if you don't have cash then you have to use a card and i was like okay so then i put a bottle of water took up my card and he's like well there's a minimum you have to spend like 10 euros in order to use the card so i was like how many i, I tried to say like okay how many right and he was like i don't know like 10 because like a dollar a pop so i had to buy 10 water bottles and i was just like all of that could have been avoided uh if like that wouldn't have happened if, if we were like in a more americanized part of part of the city but um i don't regret it one bit there was so, so much good food there we were right across the street from a little cafe 
um, that was just the, the so good. Every morning we'd go to this even uh, further cafe a little bit to get our uh, to get our latte in the morning. But fantastic, man. Yeah, if if you ain't traveling for food, you ain't traveling. You know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Eat some weird stuff too. Escargot. You know. Why not? Try it. You're there. That's where they make it. Yeah. When I went to okay. Our tangent is going really But I, yeah, when I went to Korea, uh, we ate so much like exotic food too. So we ate this dish called yuke, and it's basically raw beef. So raw sliced beef, and then with some sauce. So you eat that. And then we also ate live octopus. So oh. yeah, the tentacles live, will be live, like live yeah. octopus. Oh, I don't know goodness. about that. I don't know about that one. Like I, I, I'm, I love seafood. I, I could, I'll eat anything. But if it's live, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think I do it. I, I think, I think I would do it. I, I like, do it, but I don't, I don't know. I need yeah. a couple beers first. No, no, <laughs> I, no yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's because like I've had mighty schools is like huge. Like seafood is huge in Mexican culture, so it's like I would for sure try it just because I love octopus, but. I think I think yeah I, I'd need a few beers maybe a shot or two in my in my body before I could because I I can just imagine just how chewy and how slimy it might be you know I don't know you tell what me was, was it chewy that, and slimy yeah what was yeah. it like it was not chewy not slimy it was super crunchy what because they were not cooked so like we ate abalone as well like live so literally uh, yeah, yeah. on the spoon and moving and then you have to pour pour chili sauce on it and up. <laughs> Put it in your mouth. Oh. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really crunchy. It, like the cooked version is chewy, but the life, not even really? raw version is crunchy. Oh my gosh. I, I think someone would have to like put a blindfold over the octopus's eyes for me to, <laughs> for me to be able to, to just take a chomp of it or something. Yeesh. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think we're, we're going to have to uh, start a, um, a a brew series where we just travel after COVID and just eat super exotic foods uh, in different places. I in, in Vietnam, I had a lot of exotic foods. In Hong Kong, I had a lot of exotic foods. Um, and then when you go to like some really high-end Japanese restaurants, that's where you can get like, uh, like bull tongue and yeah. stuff like that. Like things that you wouldn't expect eating, but are actually like really good. But you have to be willing to try it, right? Like you're just looking at the menu yeah. you're like, am I really about to eat this right now? I'm like, eh. Sounds good. Looks expensive. Mm -hmm. Let's let's try it out. It's it's worth the experience. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, I had the. Uh, I had crickets one time, and I remember my wife gave me so much shit for it. She we were at this Mexican place, this like Michelin reviewed spot in in Guadalajara, and they were just like, it was like quesadilla de grillo, which is like a a cricket quesadilla, and I was just like, do people eat this? I asked the waiter, I was like, do people actually order this? And they're like, yeah, it's one of our most popular dishes, and I was like, all right, bring me some, dude. And it was delicious. It was really good. Like, it was really, really good. So, like, you know, just eat the food. If it's on a menu, the more likely than not, people have ate it and not died. So, there you go. Crickets are high in protein. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm on the cricket train now. If, if, uh, if when the water wars start and we're just eating nothing but crickets, then I'm here for it, dude. <laughs> I think that was actually a, also, uh, I think, a cultural difference, too. Like, mm -hmm. over here, people don't eat a lot of things. But coming from a Chinese yeah, you steak culture, and eggs. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. But in Chinese culture, we eat a lot of things. Like, they eat, um, we eat snakes, alligators, uh, like pigs blood, congealed blood, mm -hmm. um, chicken feet, those kind of things. And I was very surprised when I came here, and people were just like very disgusted by those things. Chicken feet are delicious. Like that, people sleep on chicken's feet. They're so so good. 
So let, let me let me put the I think that's actually a good good take on American culture and I, the reason I really like this conversation is we're talking about how we we've gained that international understanding by going to just different places experiencing different things and that really that's how our our perspective has grown but like one part of that on food is in the United States it's all about how it's presented to you but nobody asks about the details like if you know what's inside of chicken nuggets for example that is disgusting awful but then chicken feet, for example, which is n not bad at all, but it's just the presentation of it uh, mm -hmm. is what drives people. And I think that's that's where American culture is very interesting to me. It's like people don't question what they eat. They eat all these preservatives, all these chemicals, yeah. like they eat just random guts and or like organs and all these kind of things in, inside mm -hmm. of different foods. No problem. Oh, that's delicious. That was the best thing ever. And then somebody else eats crickets and it's like, that is the worst thing. That's disgusting. Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, people... it's too visual here. People will, will, without even second guessing it, eat some hamburger helper, but they won't eat a cricket or like, um, <laughs> or, you know, like chicken feet or something like that. Or even like, like how you were saying, um, like pig's blood, pig's blood is huge in, in Mexican culture. It's huge in a lot of cultures, you know, it's, it's something that you used to cook with. Um, not here, like heaven forbid somebody has to eat like liver or something. Like, I think liver is like the one thing that like people will like tolerate here, but like not very often. And that's just, mm -hmm. it's crazy to me so true yeah i didn't think about that like the lens of like chicken nuggets and sausages and spam i imagine yeah, what is spam? Spam, but... spam is just spam man like you don't you don't need to know it's just it's just spam like you don't you don't question things here it's just you're that's what you're eating you're eating spam it, spam just tastes like i'm eating uh congealed salt that's that's what i think about spam like it's so so salty what's that like spam spam uh masubi or something like that what, what's it called again yeah, yeah spam masubi spam. Uh, huh? It's disgusting. The, it's so, so gross. Just like that punch it. Like, usually I'm all for like salt, but like that salt with the texture, the only time I'll eat it when is when it's like, um, when it's pan fried. Pan fried spam is, yeah. is decent because the texture. But when you mm -hmm. just get like spam out of the can and you put it like, like oh, it's disgusting. It's so gross. Just, you, <laughs> I, I love how, how far of a tangent or conversation went. But I mean, like, oh, overall, um, where I really wanted this conversation to really drive from, like I said, was just understanding different perspectives, what that's like, right? Going into those new cultures, what you're going to experience, uh, how you have to be more open to try new things and how that's going to lead to uh, you understanding different truths about the world and about yourself overall and all this kind of stuff. Um, but where I would want to kind of end, end the show for today is really focusing on one last thing. Um, we'll see if it, it goes into some side tangents because I have a feeling will, but um, from your experience now coming to the United States and this international student world that you've lived through, what would you be your advice for either U.S. students trying to go international, right? Or other international students coming to the United States? Like if you would wrap that around like one piece of advice you would want to focus in on, what would that be um, to help others that might be thinking about a lot of stuff and it's, it's quite overwhelming for a lot of people, what would that advice be for them? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I would say, uh, stay true to your background and culture and be proud of it and never see it as like a limiting factor. Uh, yeah, pretty self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, let me, yeah, let me just elaborate then. <laughs> because, uh, and like in the past, I think 
yeah, it's very easy for you to go to a new environment and just start comparing uh, various aspects of the two different cultures. Like there are pros and cons to every single culture. Like I can, there, there are so many things that I love about US, but there are so many things that I love about Singapore as well. So uh, understanding from different perspectives and learning how to appreciate both cultures uh, instead of comparing them. Uh, and yeah, like if you are in a new culture, respect the culture. Uh, you can integrate yourself into that culture, but still uh, not forgetting oh where you came from and like staying in touch with that and um. Yeah, one thing I need to work on is improving on my Chinese. <laughs> so that, and then also, yeah, being proud of it, um, knowing that you bring so much value just because of your international perspective, and then not limiting yourself. Because I think one thing that I used to be afraid of is oh, admitting that I am international because I was afraid that it would make some people uh, more. Yeah, like it will. It will scare some recruiters away uh, if they think that I am, I need, I will cost more, or there's more paperwork that needs to be done in order to hire me. But now I'm realizing that yeah, like I want somebody who values me for my background. And if they think that oh, just because she's international, she has more paperwork, then that's then you want somebody else who will value your background more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, hundred percent. And and to, to your point, um, it's not. I I think that this notion of um, kind of losing your identity isn't something that just happens in someone who comes from like it's at some point in their life. Like even even for myself, like I grew up here in the states, but I would uh, mm -hmm. growing up, I would spend half the year in Mexico and half the year here. Um, Spanish is my first language. I'm a first generation American. Um, and I remember like going into high school, like I, I was just like, okay, I had to make the decision of like, okay, do I, do I lean into like my Mexican kind of mm -hmm. culture, heritage and all that stuff and really grab it by the horns? Um, or do I fold and do I just become like a generalist where I can kind of chameleon myself in every single culture? And about, I think you can probably speak on this as well, coming, coming from, uh, from the Finnish cultures um, is more often than not, uh, people who are first generational, they pick the general to become a generalist because it allows you to to assimilate with that culture and allows you to kind of do stuff. And you end up putting your culture in the back burner. You say instead of saying you're not proud to say, "Oh, I'm, I'm Mexican American," you just say like, "Oh yeah, I'm American because you were born here," you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and you, that's kind of the way that you go about it. Uh, but then eventually, hopefully, you end up um, refining your culture and kind of re invigorating any kind of pride that you might have in it and it's something i think that happens to a bunch of first generational americans and it's something that i think gets lost once you get a few generations in um and then you just start to classify yourself as you know american and and less so as the other culture um but i know for myself in high school hell no like i i was super like ashamed of, uh, to say that I, I i would say that i'm mexican and i could speak spanish fluently i could read it do all this stuff uh but at the same time you're like oh i don't well, i'd want to be labeled as like a mexican you know uh, and then, you know, I came to college, I grew up and I started realizing that there should be no shame in the game, you know, like mm -hmm. I am who I am. And turns out that a lot of people, turns out that most Americans, whether they like to admit it or not, uh, they they wish that they were the culture that you are, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it's one of those things where like, you know, take advantage of it, be proud of who you are and share your culture because it's, it's the through line that connects everybody. Um, it, it is the culture, you know? Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when when you when you leave a culture and come to another culture, I think I think the um, the way that it's perceived is that you are not enough of one culture or not enough of the other either. You're kind of in this like no man's land, um, mm-hmm. and you have to prove yourself on both fronts. So mm-hmm. like like uh, like my when I was in high school and stuff like that, like I was I was the the Finnish guy, and then when I go back to Finland, I'm I'm the American boy. So it's just mm-hmm. like. <laughs> It's just yeah. like I'm in this no man's land of both both sides of it. Um, but I think I think it's uh, an interesting take that you brought up, which is like when you're when you're younger, you're gonna be more focused on like Americanizing yourself or being like, mm-hmm. I'm 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 an American, blah blah blah. But then as you get older, you kind of realize that no, like what actually makes you who you are is that that understanding of your your background culture and how that's empowering on at the same time. So it's this interesting dynamic I think that exists. Uh, for anybody who's international or anybody who um, gets put into a new culture, how how do you find that belonging in that culture? And I think that's an internal battle that you just have to be comfortable with it working out, right? Like you you, yeah. you do not, not expect it to be um, that 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 way that you're feeling is going to be there forever. You're going to start getting more comfortable with it, but you have to kind of accept mm-hmm. that I'm in a new culture. I'm in a new where I have to grow myself to be comfortable with where I am today. Um, and I think that's a very important perspective yeah. for any international students that are trying to come anywhere, whether yeah. United States outside or uh, outside comes to the United mm-hmm. States. I, I will say as well is that one thing that's whole that is real, real shitty is because I've spent so much of my life kind of putting my culture in the back burner. Now that I'm in a position where I'm at, it's like all I want to do is do nothing but help my culture um, elevate itself and bring itself to the forefront and do all this stuff. But then I'm always kind of like battling internally with myself. It's just like, like, is it hypocritical for me to try to position myself as a thought leader and someone who pushes the culture forward when I spent so much time suppressing the culture down? And it's like this constant like back and forth. Most people tell you no, like go, go and like, go and do the thing that's going to benefit you and benefit your culture and put your culture in the forefront. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an internal conflict that happens more often than not. It's then you get into like an imposter kind of situation where it's just like, well, crap, how am I going to help this culture out when like I've spent so much time, um, you know, becoming an American and, and doing all this stuff. And, and to those people, I will say that you're better off just kind of um, being okay with the fact, come to peace with the fact that you did that. But then forget about it. Be a goldfish. Forget about it, uh, and then push forward and you know start making the change that you want to see uh, within your culture specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I have so many uh, first generation like friends who are first generation immigrants, and they would tell me that yeah, they feel like they want to help their culture, but it just feels like that imposter um, sense when they've been suppressing it for so long. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's it's the real deal. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, I think I think to close the show, any any last uh, takes from you, Heidi, before we we end today's show on this conversation about international education, international perspectives, uh, and the importance of your own professional development. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, while we were talking, I thought about something else, which I think I will want to give as a like a as a lesson that I learned too, which is to ask for help because. Uh, being an international student, there are many times when you just feel like, for example, with my family, I would feel like, oh, I don't want to uh, tell them some things or tell them when I'm struggling because I don't want them to worry about me. But you have to learn that 
your parents, um, yes, they will worry about you, but uh, they care for you and they are there for you. So I think it's always, yeah, just knowing that when you are asking them for help, you are not burdening them or making them worry because they do truly care for you. And they, most parents, they are mature enough to not like get, uh, yeah, let that worry overwhelm them. And then in terms of other people to reaching out because, uh, yeah, it's hard to reach out when you have like pride or uh, just uh, that false sense of independence. But over here, uh, when you are in a new culture, it's so important, so important to reach out. Uh, that not only allows, makes things easier for you, but it also builds a lot of trust and helps the other person as well as they are able to learn about your culture, learn about themselves through helping you. So I think I will want to end with that. Never be afraid to be authentic and ask for help. Yeah, I know. I think that's a that's an excellent way to, to close up the show today. Um, and as you stated, like it when you, when you just ask for help, the worst thing that can happen when you ask for help is somebody just says no, right? That's mm -hmm. it. That's the worst thing that can happen out of it. And imagine the best thing that can happen out of it. Completely mm -hmm. different projection. So I think that's an important per perspective. Definitely a perfect way to close out for today's show. Uh, appreciate you having you on the show, Heidi. We'll have you again uh, multiple different times. Um, let us know whenever you want to be on the show. So it's not yeah. just we trying to bash each other's heads uh, on ideas. <laughs> philosophies we have about the world um but it, it's it's been great kind of chatting about that international perspective um and everything else we went through today um but those listening in um if you want to learn more about professional development things like mental health that we talked about your own growth definitely check out our platform thebrew.tv um read some stories from people we've had uh, we're creating more and more community partnerships focusing on conversations on mental health and professional development so we can provide more and more value um to to our audience and our community um but that's it for today's show thank you everybody for tuning in uh and uh next week um is the start of the entrepreneur summit which uh nick if you could throw that into the chat as well um register for that as well heidi will be speaking at that event um also so that that's something to check out and uh nick behind the scenes is the one who is uh producing that whole thing so um we'll give him a nice shout out as we go through that but Thank you for tuning in. This has been a great episode of The Brew. Thank you for tuning in to The Brew. Subscribe to our email newsletter on thebrew.tv. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and we will see you next time.